five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about fake news today and also how to plan your creative strategy and why direct mail is expensive. Hang on to the end. That's that's the best part. That's always the best part. If you hang on to the end, it's always the best. So let's get over to Jim Gaffigan and hear his straight talk about straight talk. And here we go. Let's see. Attention Walmart shoppers, here's some straight talk for you. Use your loved ones to save money on wireless. So, you ready to commit to two lines to save cash? Have you ever saved your parents anything? No. Congratulations on your future savings. What's important in life? That's Family funny. and saving money. Right? And not necessarily in that order. More lines mean more savings with Straight Talk. Just $25 a line for unlimited data all on Nationwide 5G. Straight Okay, well, I use Mint Mobile, and I gotta find that tattoo. I gotta put that tattoo on there. Mint Mobile. I can need an article about Mint Mobile. I'm gonna have to go looking for one. I'm gonna have to put that tattoo on before the end of summer, pretty soon. One of these days, I'm gonna take it home. I don't know how to put it on. I guess you just, oh, it's got the instructions. Remove the clear sheet, apply on skin, dry face, face down, press over top with a wet towel for 15 seconds. I can do this at the office. I don't have to take it home. Okay, so now you got two new pieces of information. And now let's figure out what we're going to talk about today, which is over here on the stories. Okay, so uh, Jim Gaffigan, uh, that's their first live commercial, live action commercial in four years. Um, and Jim said he had a riot doing it. It was a lot of fun. I like the line, using your loved ones to save money. One of the interesting things I also thought was, um, the person who talked about it, Cheryl Gresham, chief marketing officer at Verizon Value, which um, apparently Verizon leases their towers to other carriers and Walmart private labels that. Um, we immediately thought of Jim as the perfect partner to explain the value of our new plans and to do it in a really entertaining way. Uh, straight talk makes life easier and for people with large families, uh, said Gaffigan. And uh, so they had a lot of fun doing it. Now, here's one from Ray Schultz, my friend Ray Schultz. We go back a long ways. Um, fewer than half of Americans feel they can spot fake news. And some of the fun is the demographics here. <laughs> and 46% uh, admit they've fallen victim to fake news. And I admit that I have. Although I'm getting more and more and more and more and more skeptical. Uh, men claim to be the least gullible in this regard. 63% say they can spot a fraud versus 35% of women. Now, that's right there is an interesting statistic. You know, perhaps that means that women are more honest. Probably. It probably means that more than it means uh, who's the more gullible. But, you know, interesting cultural. Uh, I always like the way demographics sometimes line up with cultural stereotypes. Um, and I can think of a lot of them that I'm not going to mention. <laughs> okay. Also, Oregon, Oregonians, uh, 87.5%, almost 90% of Oregonians confessed they would struggle to spot real information from false. And I believe that <laughs> from what I've heard about what goes on out there. Uh, David Bears is an Oregonian, I believe. Yes. 
And uh, New Yorkers were very confident. 76% were confident in their ability to rec- recognize the fakes. It means only only 24% thought they couldn't recognize it. I, I think that inverse probably is true. Age is another factor. Um, 69% are of the millennials are are confident even more than New Yorkers, is it? No, not quite as much as New Yorkers. The least confident are the baby boomers. I don't know why that is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a New Yorker. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a lot of these things. Anyway, um, but half think they can tell the difference. Uh, I heard a, a piece of. Oh, conspiracies and misinformation are thriving in today's social media as the technologies advance faster than society's understanding of them. I heard a video, according to Fintan Costello. Um, Costello adds, in the digital landscape where imagination runs wild. I love that part. Imagination runs wild. Uh, and a line, the line between fact and fiction gets increasingly blurred. It's more important than ever to learn to discern. Okay, learn to discern the fake. And Scott Adams has a lot of stuff about learning to discern. And one of the things that he says is it's sometimes it's too on the nose, he says. It's it's too too good a story. The other thing I, I know you can almost, <laughs> no matter how weird your news source is, uh, get a variety, right? So I was so... I heard a story just yesterday that President Obama signed legislation to allow propaganda to be broadcast, uh, which had been banned since 1948 legally in America. And that's sort of sort of technically true that he signed some military authorization, which was funding Voice of America, which broadcast into Russia basically American propaganda to counter the Russian-American propaganda. (laughs) And they were prohibited from broadcasting into the United States. It was about Voice of America. It wasn't about general broadcasters who can pretty much do what they want because of the First Amendment, right? Okay. And the legislation that President Obama signed was uh, passed Congress with 200 Republicans voting for it and only 100 Democrats. So and and Voice of America and P, PBR or P, no PBS said uh, PBR peanut butter and jelly um, uh, PBR said that they <laughs> public broadcasting said these stories are available up on our website anyway why don't we authorize that we could if someone asks they could re- republish it that was basically it. And so uh, I'll put that the story and the rebuttal in the uh, in the show notes at WDMA.org. Anyway, uh, but have a variety of sources, you know, like, for example, my climate change perspective was shaped by the uh, by the anecdotal information that the Chinese had been tracking sunspots and the price of rice since about a thousand A.D. And they noticed that when there were more sunspots, there were uh, the price of rice was lower. And um, somebody speculated that that's because the weather was warmer and better. And um, and there's also a decadal cycle to the sun of sunspots. 
and that also seems to correlate with with temperature and so I've always said it's probably has something more to do with the Sun than they're giving it credit and it turns out most of the climate models take into account the luminescence of the Sun the visible light which is very constant but don't take into account the CMEs and other radiation which varies wildly from the Sun and now they're starting to figure that out it's starting to figure out that the climate models maybe need a little bit more more variables um, so there's you know so even those weird historical items can shape your view and help you resist the the latest craze okay so speaking of craze creative strategy from Mike Gunderson okay uh, developing a creative strategy um, make sure that your that your assets are created with intention and that the results stay in line with a larger tactical plan now my in uh, my understanding is that tactics are the are the individual implementations of a larger strategy so that's that's not the way I usually would put it but you know my 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 style consultant said John uh, said don't fight with everybody if you want to work with them and so I want to work with Mike Gunderson and so I'm gonna not not fight with him about that but anyway the point is is that you design with intention and that each contributor understands their role and I think there's that's absolutely essential as someone who has run creative departments and also uh, built catalogs from scratch you know the the creative plan is essential and this gets at a lot of the pieces that I've always believed in goals then translate into strategy that translates into targeting I like the targeting is like the first element of the creative process the the, the first priority uh, and then the creative gets done and then the execution the other thing is is that oftentimes goals and strategy can determine hopefully one of the strategic points is that we always test something and targeting can be the first thing you test you can test a variety of lists etc uh, but you can also test creative and you can do a, a two-way matrix test if you think about it ahead of time it doesn't work very well if you don't uh, which also can shape your um, your total overall um, circulation plan in order to get enough to be strategically valid across your tests so then you have your execution and execution of course is all based on a timeline which Mike says you know dunk a dunk a dunk a dunk a dunk and then I love this part it feeds back into response and conversion looking at the response rate looking at the conversion rate oftentimes by pre ordained segments so that you can identify both the creative and the targeting testing then you have campaign analysis and review and learn and one of the things that we did when I was in charge of the creative department was uh, we always reviewed the we always reviewed the analytics with the creative department when the results came in and I find few creatives get educated in what we're looking at what we're looking for how we can tell which product presentations are superior which covers do better you know which papers do better a lot of the elements that matter people say well creative is only 10% value well I've seen 40% 40% lift 
by just changing an image on the cover. And even the image was only spotted, the difference between the two images was only spotted by half of my audience when I posted it on a DMA show at on testing, or a speech I gave. So what is a creative marketing strategy? Well, it's an outliner blueprint. It's a guiding light for these creatives. Creatives want guidance. <laughs> they don't mind constraint if they understand constraint, if it makes it more efficient. And then it also gives them ways to break the rules, okay? You know, it took me forever to get rules. And then one day a creative guy came and said, well, what if we floated this to the gutter, you know, right to the trim and bled it off there? Would that be okay? I said, oh, absolutely. It's a great idea. And he looked at me funny and he said, I thought we weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> I said, well, if, without a purpose, you're not allowed to do it. But in this case, you've got a great idea. And how can we, if we do it all the time, we just spend a lot of money, you know, how can we figure it out? How can anybody know we're breaking the rules and how can it grab attention? So there's always a balance between the breaking of the rules and the having rules. You can't, ha you can't break them if you don't have them. Okay, so the goal uh, in the creative brief is to make it readable, digestible, uh, and then discuss the things that are outlined with all the project contributors. Okay, um, so... Talk about your company if they're outside, especially if they're outside creative people. Uh, explain the project. Summarize its purpose, why you need it, the goals, right, the objectives. Um, clear objectives. Um, you know, when I, was, when I was beginning to promote the use of computers in marketing, I had a break-even analysis. I was thinking of putting that up, but it's just six or eight variables that you play with, and you get to see what the potential success of your program is. And uh, it's what I used to tell Blockbuster they were nuts and turn down six-figure consulting project. And probably that was a mistake. It cost me a lot of money. But anyway, Deluxe Check for a while required that every marketing project included a break-even analysis. And, um, you know, that's, again, that's part of the feedback process to the marketing and the creative department. <clears throat> And if it doesn't look like it makes any sense, then maybe it doesn't. Maybe you need to rethink your your creative process. Maybe you need to get cheaper paper or a different mailing format or something else. Um, define your target audience. You know, who are you intending to reach? And is it the best way? <clears throat> you know, with Wyndham Hill, they came to me and they said, well, we're trying to reach 35 to 55 high income, high education. And uh, but when we mail those kind of lists, we don't get any orders. I said, well, maybe they don't like your music. <laughs> and they looked at me really funny. And so we decided to generate names from our existing uh, music buyers and made a fortune. Uh, explain style, voice, and tone. I remember seeing how JCPenney did their photo shoots and how they didn't send their creative department, which was a big waste of time usually. Um, a lot of times setting up a shot, taking down a shot, going to the next shot. Uh, a lot of good snacks. And uh, J.C. Penney would say, you know, we want a we want a professional woman, or we want a we want a homemaker with kids, woman, and you know, or that kind of thing. And uh, they would have they had about six categories of what they wanted the models to kind of look like. They roughly describe the hair and the makeup and things. And then you know they would wear the outfits that were shipped over there. Uh, and the and the and and uh, a friend of mine ran a studio. It was about a city block, and he did, 
he did photos for both Pennies and Sears, I think, at the time, and Spiegel. And uh, he said it was funny because because Sears would say, well, we wanted our, our catalog to look more artistic, more like Spiegel. And so he'd send him a shot of the bedroom with the pillows a little bit askew and and wrinkles in the bedspread and stuff. And they'd say, well, we like the shot, but, you know, straighten up those pillows and <laughs> all the things that made Spiegel interesting, they would remove. And eventually it would look back like Sears. Uh, it's funny what those things will do. So if you're going to do a contest, make it energetic and fun. If you're going to do a healthcare uh, brochure, make it more formal, you know, just common sense stuff, but you want to delineate it, right? List out all the deliverables, what's going in the envelope, have a timeline, obviously for that, have a budget, obviously for that, and this will make your life simpler from Mike Gunderson. And this is from Andrea Stevens, really good. Uh, people say postage is going up uh, three to six percent, but if you look at Winterberry's uh, study Meta is up 61%, TikTok 185 uh, just year over year, Google's up 75%, and uh, Instagram is up 23%. So mail gets to be a better deal every time we look at it, okay? Plus, mail doesn't get lost in the email or in the direct digital landscape. And this is the part I like the best. Every time a consumer holds a direct mail piece in their hand, they must interact with your brand, right? We know who gets mailed. We know it gets to a decision maker. We know they interact with it. She says, first, they notice it. They have to flap, flip through it. Second, deciding how they want to interact with it. They have to decide, am I going to throw it away? Am I going to? Am I going to keep it for later? Am I going to buy from it? Right now, I've been waiting for this sale to be on. I've been waiting for this special. Boom, like I do with Land's End, you know. Third, actively deciding. Actively deciding. Direct mail does not throw itself away. We need to put that in every direct mail article. Every other medium. If you ignore it, if you even see it. But if you see it, <laughs> even if you see it, but ignore it, throws itself away. And if you're on TikTok or something, it goes away and you can't find it again. <laughs> can't just go on. I don't know where it went. How do I get back to this? How do you search on TikTok? I don't know. It's one of those things I can't figure out. But anyway, so uh, the truth is your marketing budget should effectively include both online and offline marketing. Okay. As costs increase, marketers need to evaluate the return on investment even more closely incrementally. And that's something that I know Brian Dillette and I talked about on our interview, if you want to get back to that. So uh, many thanks to Andrea. Like and share, repost. Yesterday we had almost no impressions. I don't know if LinkedIn changed their algorithm or what happened. But uh, repost it and we'll see what happens today. Bye-bye. See you in Minneapolis.